0: The message is today, bad men pursued by a good God. Your goodness is running after me. That's it. That's the message today. Bad men or bad women pursued by a good God. How many of you love the word of God? How many? Yeah, you really love the word of God. Amen. Yeah. You're proud to own the word of God. Yeah. You believe what Paul told Timothy? He said, read the word of God, give exhortation. Y'all love that? Y'all good for that? Good. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Amen. Y'all said you're glad to live in a country where you're free to do it, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take advantage of our freedom today, and we are going to read the Word of God. You know, whenever we get into things like Romans and Ephesians, it's good to sometimes stop and dive down and mine out and exegete all the things that are there, the deep riches of God and other parts of scripture, whether they be gospels. Or uh, Genesis, you know, the the Pentateuch, it's just narrative. It's good to read large swaths of it because there's a story. And if you skip around in the story, you lose the heart of God. And so today we're going to look at the heart of God, a bad man being pursued by a good God. And I want to present to you some ugly people. Ugly, ugly people. People you would not want as your friend, people that you would refuse, people that you would say, These are wicked people, and I don't think I want them to be my confidants, my friends, the people that I run with. If you would go to Genesis chapter 25 as we look at the life of Jacob. 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 When I think about bad people, um, I think about my life before Jesus. You know, God, He killed the Canaanites. He wiped them out, he gave them the opportunity to repent four hundred and thirty years. He delayed judgment. Talk about delayed court diversion process, right? (laughs) You know? He gave them four hundred and thirty years, almost half a millennium, we'll round up, say half a millennium, to get right with him. But they refused. And I look at my life before Jesus, and I was no better than any of them. I was so wicked, I was so evil. I deserve the wrath of God. Whatever you want to say, you look at our society today, I look at me. And when I look at people like Jacob and Judah, who we'll look at today, I really do see my own life. And I am amazed that God saved me. When we go to Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 to 26, uh, Isaac, he got married. He was older. He was 40. So if you're 40 or older, don't worry, God may still have a spouse for you. He, God provided him a spouse, and his wife was barren, she couldn't have children, and so she prayed to God, and God allowed her to conceive, and there was a lot of rumbling in her tummy, and they, she knew they were twins, and she wondered, what in the world's going on? Why is it like this if you've given me children? And God told her, and he said to her in verse 23, two nations are in your womb two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And her days that came to give birth, they came. Esau came out first, but Jacob was holding on to his heel. He was holding on to his heel. And it says here at uh, the footnote of my Bible, of course his name Jacob is heel catcher, but it's a euphemism for he who cheats. He cheats. So, from his birth, it was like a sly way of saying he cheats. And it became the foreshadowing of his character. He was a cheater, he was conniving, he was very savvy with people. I have a son who's very savvy with people. And though he's very young, he can pick up. He's very emotionally intelligent. I think that's like the the hip way to say that nowadays. He can tell how people are feeling. He can play with your emotions a little bit. He's sweet as can be. And I know the Lord's going to refine that and use that for good. But sometimes I think of Jacob. Jacob liked to be indoors. And that son likes to be indoors too. But Jacob was a deceiver. He sought out deception. Now, Isaac's, Isaac, his wife Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother, she knew that Jacob was the one whom God had said the promise will come through him. Esau the elder will serve him. But the way that she and Jacob both grasped for that was the problem. You know, uh, he was so savvy, Jacob, that he knew his brother. His brother was a brute. His brother was very carnal. He was very sensual, very fleshly, very emotional, prone to outbursts. And it says here in chapter 25, uh, it speaks about him that he was going hunting one day. In verse 29, he was uh, cooking stew. Jacob was cooking stew. Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I am exhausted. Then Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Who gives up birthright for like your blood sugar's low? Your birthright, generally speaking back then, was twice what everyone else got, a double portion. Who gives up a double portion for soup? Like no matter how good grandma, whatever soup was, you were not going to give up your inheritance and your father's will for it. So extremely fleshly, extremely sensual. But Esau says, I'm about to die. What of use is a birthright to me? So Jacob, he, he makes sure. He says, Swear to me now. Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, ate, drank, rose, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He got up right after he ate and left. He didn't recover, he didn't take a long nap. He just got up and left. This man was not about to die. He was a profane man. Is what the Bible later says. But Jacob knew it and he took advantage of it. He knew how to work a situation. He was the original horn swaddler. Have you ever thought about that word, a horn swaddler? A horn is rough. Does a horn need swaddle to protect it? No. Snake oil salesman, that's what he was, a horn swaddler. He stole the birthright and then he stole the blessing. In Genesis 27, Isaac was old. His eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. am." He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, your bow. Go out to the field. Hunt game for me. Prepare, Prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. Bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Uh, this is Esau's time. He has no more birthright, but by God, he can, and through God, give a blessing, a spiritual bestowal, supernatural something from God that is given, that he hears from heaven and gives to the Son, and it will be so. This is special, and it's going to happen over a meal. It's amazing how many things happen over a meal. Communion, a meal, Passover, a meal, heaven. Blessed is he who's going to eat bread in heaven. Jesus said, I won't take of this bread or this cup until I take it again with you in heaven. Meals were important. So go and get this meal for me and I am going to bless you. Bless you, Esau, the one I love because I love to even eat of your wild game. This very special connection that we have. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau and she was conniving too. That's probably where Jacob got a lot of it. We've got to be careful what we influence our children with. We've got to be make sure that we're one with our spouses. But so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game, prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voices, I command you, go to the flock, bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. You'll bring it to me, your father's going to eat, and he's going to bless you before he dies. But Jacob said, Mom, behold, my brother, Esau, he's a hairy, man, I'm smooth. My father, he's going he's to feel me, and he's going to see that I'm, I seem to be mocking him, and I'm going to bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went, took them, brought them to his mother. His mother prepared them. He kills that goat. He takes the hair, he puts it on his arms, he goes to his father, he speaks, he says, Here I am, father. What are you doing back so soon? Oh, the Lord has blessed me, dad. I'm here. Come to me. Let me smell of you. Let me take hold of you. The voice is that of Jacob, but you feel hairy on your hands and on your neck, like Esau, and you smell like the field. But okay, I'm old. It doesn't say that in scripture, but, you know, his senses are leaving him, right? He eats it. Ah! He says, see the smell of my son. It's the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May, the God, may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. May your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you. Blessed is everyone who blesses you. And then he ran out. Esau comes in. And Jacob, Isaac, trembles when he finds out, I haven't given this blessing to Esau, but to Jacob. Because they were not just words. It was supernatural. I've already blessed him, son. And yes, he will be blessed. And Esau mourns, is there not a blessing for me? Rightly called Jacob is he because he's stolen my birthright. And now he's also stolen my blessing. Is there anything for me, dad? And he gives him a meager blessing. And the cheater, this awful, awful man, then has to run for his life. His mom says, get out of town, son. Go visit my brother Laban. Go over there. Because Esau began to comfort his heart and say, I am going to kill my brother Jacob as soon as the morning is done for my father Isaac. As soon as that happens, as soon as all that's done, as soon as he dies and all this happens, I'm going to kill him. So he knew he had to get out of town. His cheating caught up with him. His badness caught up with him. His poor choices, his character. He made himself stink to his brother, made himself stink to his father, made himself stink with his poor choices to his own mother. He had to leave. He couldn't even stay because murder was about to occur. From his own twin brother. He was a terrible, godless, wicked man. He was awful. He was awful. But a good God pursued this bad man because God is not afraid of what people have done and the choices they have made, no matter how irreversible they seem. Because he is able to take a life, save it, and transform it for his purposes. A good God pursues what we would call bad people. Because God does not cast them away. He allows us to reject them. But he has purposes for every one of our lives. And so he pursued this wicked man. And in chapter 28, we find Jacob on the run. Seeking this bad man when no one wanted him and when he was all alone, it took that before he could get his attention. Jacob left Beersheba. He went toward Haran. That was where Abraham, his midway stopping point before he came down to Canaan. He came to a certain place, stayed there that night because the sun had set. He took a stone of the place. He put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. Who's chasing after Jacob? Is Jacob chasing after God right now? Has he done anything good in his life to benefit the mercies and the kindness of God? And God gives him a dream. He dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That was even a prophecy. That dream, we'd find out later in the Gospel of John, of who Jesus was. The one on whom the angels of God descended and ascended from. This wicked man is getting a prophetic dream from a God that he doesn't even personally know. It's the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac at this point. But it's not his God, not really. But the Lord, he confronts him and says in verse 13, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, God's speaking to him now. Not just angels now. The Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in it, your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. God was saying, I have purposes for your life, Jacob. And I am confronting you. I'm causing a roadblock here. You're on the run. You finally are open enough to hear my voice. I'm going to be your God too. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to bless you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. I remember when I was lost. And I was in a situation that was about to be life-changing. I was going to make a choice that was irreversible. And as a lost man, the fear of God flood the room where I was, came upon me, and I said out loud, How can I do this and sin against God? And I fled from the room, and I was kept from who knows what could have occurred. God does that in all of our lives. Even to the lost. It says, he makes the rain fall upon the just and the unjust. It's the what of God that leads man to repentance. The goodness. Is it the wrath and the badness and the pulling out the spoon? No, I, you know, he, he says, save some by fear if you have to dangling over hell. They see the flames and feel the heat if that's what it takes. But his desire is that his goodness would lead us to repentance. So I like Jacob and I know you, if you would stop and even reflect on it today over a cup of coffee later in the quiet, could look back and say, God kept me from death or from sinning grievously, life changing ways. I was lost and God's presence came in the room that Hallelujah. I mean, what a God. Hallelujah. You're a good God. You're good. And he did it for Jacob. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. How amazing. How amazing. A good God pursued this bad man. But this bad man would then learn what it was to be with an even badder man named Laban for 20 years. For two full decades, the cheater Finally got a taste of his own bad choices and his own bad decisions when he thought it was one lady that he had been working seven years for. But the switcheroo came and it was her less attractive older sister. There was a veil involved and I'm assuming personally alcohol because there was a lot of partying going on there. And then he wakes up the next morning and it's not the one whom he worked for. And the cheater has now been cheated. And he has to work another seven years to get the one he really wanted. And then he has to work six years just to build up his business. And his wages are changed in times. And he's abused until finally God says, Get up and go back to the land that I told you that I'd bring you back to safely. This bad man has had a taste of what it is to be treated badly and to be cheated. The cheater has been shown what it is. He was more broken, he was more mellowed, he was more humbled. Because a lot of times, even after we meet God, it takes a while for us to get to know him and to be conformed to him. And and you know, sometimes it takes a lot of breaking in our lives, right? I think we can all attest to that. But he's being broken little by little. He goes back. His uh, father-in-law, Laban, wants to kill him until God sends a dream to Laban and says, don't touch him he's mine. Then he has to confront Esau, who who he knew wanted to kill him. He's being brought back. This bad man is being brought back to face all of his past choices. All of the pain that he had caused himself was being visited back on him. But God would not abandon him in his own past poor choices. And God will not abandon you, no matter how poor of choices you've made before Christ or even after Christ. The term, it is your bed, you made it, now you've got to lie in it, is not In Scripture, yes, there is sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind, but even Manasseh, the most wicked king of all, who burnt children, who uh, put up asterisk poles, incense in the temple of God, these terrible things, repented in the end and God had mercy on him and delayed judgment. If God will visit mercy mercy on Manasseh, there is no one beyond the mercy of God. No matter what country they're in, no matter what decisions they have made, no matter what they have done, and no matter what you or I have done, there is a good heavenly father. Where if you don't know him, he wants to wash you in his blood and adopt you into his family. And even if you're his child and you have done terribly, Even John Mark, who failed miserably on the mission field, at the end of Paul's life said, bring John Mark to me. He's profitable for ministry. He can turn our lives around. He can turn our lives around. But he brings Jacob back to confront his brother. And he wrestles with an angel. And the heel catcher, the cheater, confronts God. And he can't cheat in this wrestling match. But he doesn't let go. He's still got that tenacity. It was in his character. It just needed to be honed. It just needed to be shaped. It just needed to be guided like a river, right? Where it's profitable. But God marked him forever. Touched his hip. He walked with a limp. And God miraculously even kept him from the death that should have been his at the hands of his brother Esau. And a lot of other bad things would happen. But can you believe that this cheater who his own twin wanted to murder and this bad man who, even though he did marry the wrong woman, oh, can you imagine being the older sister? Can you imagine being that Leah? That's not my Leah. My Leah is awesome. She's my first choice. His Leah, she had, she had props. She had, she had battle even in her own home. And God's even able to take this man, a man who would show favoritism just like his father, just like his father Isaac did to Esau. He would show favoritism. To Joseph and it would cause a family feud, and God would say forever and ever, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of who a bad man that God pursued, a good God pursued, because God had purposes for his life. I want to look at an even worse man named Judah. Genesis 37, Ju- Judah is a bad man. he's wicked, he's evil. Years ago, I saw this, and I got so excited. Because I saw what God could do with wicked people. Pastor Lee, years ago, and I know I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. I was sitting right around here where Bill and Marcel were. It was a Sunday morning, or no, it was a Wednesday night. And Pastor Lee was talking about uh, this story from Ezekiel, the prophecy that spoke of Israel being like that unwanted, thrown out, cast out child. Still has the cord connected, still in their own blood. And here comes along God, and he's speaking to Israel, said, I took you up, I cut your cord, I cleaned you up, I raised you, and then when you were marrying Gage, I made you my own. I bestowed jewels upon you and married me, and you played the harlot. And when I saw how God had taken me from that place, you know, it, it, you just apply it to your own life, covered in your own filth. Of sin and everything, and he picks you up and cleans you up. I could not help but come down here and wail and just cry out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. At that revelation of what he's really done. If you don't know him today, that's what he wants to do in your life. Wherever you find yourself, he adorns his bride with beauty, with garments that are not her own. He's awesome. But Judah. In Genesis 37, verse 12, you have to know the story of his brother Joseph, the golden child. He, uh, Jacob, becomes, Jacob grows up. He grows older. He has all these sons. Uh, one of his youngest sons named Joseph from his favorite wife, Rachel. He's only one of two. And he loves them. Gives them a special coat. He clearly has good managerial skills, good administrative skills because he's also a tattletale. Because he sends him out to the field. Tattletales on all of his brothers. And you can only imagine what that's like, right? You can imagine being the brothers from the ugly mom, the unwanted mom. You can imagine that Joseph is the son of the good-looking mom, the good-looking wife, the desired wife. You, you always have to grow up, yeah, dad never wanted my mom, right? He wanted Rachel. He wanted her. And this is his golden boy from her. And he gets all of this benefit. And that's dad's favorite. They despised him. They were bitter against him. They wanted to kill him is what happened. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, who is Jacob, he had his name changed from that cheater to a prince with God because God found a bad man and changed him. So Israel, the prince with God, said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. A little, a little swat is what they say in Britain, a little Stuck up little kid here. Here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. Go see if they're doing what they should do and come report back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. Can you imagine what would have happened if this man never would have been in the fields? How God ordered Joseph's steps. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? The man said, they have gone away for I heard them say let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar and before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill him. They're tired of him. I'm tired of you acting the way you are having the favor. I'm tired of you with your dreams that we're all going to bow down before you. I'm tired of you. Let's be rid of this man, this kid, once and for all. Let's kill him, throw him into one of the pits. They weren't even going to bury him, just throw his body into a pit. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben, that's the eldest, who was not a perfect man either, but Reuben said, he rescued them, and he said, let's, let's not take his life. Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here, but don't lay hands on him. He wanted to rescue him later. And this is why judgment didn't come on Reuben later in Egypt. Reuben was trying to save him. Joseph came to his brothers. They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him, they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. They sat down to eat. They had lunch. They could actually eat after they did this. They're just, you know, they've got their they've got the little fire going, right? And they're just eating. There's their brother. Please save me. Please don't hurt me. He's not quiet. He's wailing, he's weeping, he's probably scratching, trying to get out of the pit. And they're just hanging out, eating lunch. These were hard-hearted people. They legitimately hated him. They wanted him dead. They sat down to eat, but they saw a caravan, Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. When their camels, bearing gum, balm, myrrh, on their way to carry it to Egypt. Then Judah, Then Judah said to his brothers... What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. So it's because of Judah. Judah sold his own brother into slavery. It was Judah's idea. Sell him. Let's make some money off this. And you know what happens? They they sell him. He goes. He's sold into Potiphar's home. They take his jacket, they kill an animal, put some blood on it. They give it to their dad and say, whose is this? He says, it's Joseph's and he's weeping uncontrollably. I mean, it's not too late. They could probably go to Egypt and get him out. But he's willing to sit there and let his own father mourn the loss of his child because he hates him. And it's Judah's idea. I thought Judah was supposed to be good. Let's read something worse than that. Read with me. Genesis 38, verse 12. Judah gets married. He has kids. Then she dies, and he gets lonely. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah, to sheep shearers. He and his friend, Hira the Adullamite And his daughter-in-law, Tamar, hears about it. Now, Tamar had been married To Judah's oldest son But God had to kill Judah's oldest son Because he was so wicked That's the kind of son that Judah raised The second son According to tradition of the time Gets married to Tamar And is told Go into her That's your wife now Raise up children To your brother's name Because that was the custom He should have done it But he refused to do that He used some prehistoric birth control And God kills him Because he does evil in the sight of God Judah has a third child. And this third child's too young. And Judah knows, I've already lost one for wickedness. I've lost two to wickedness. Is, these are Judah's sons. These are the kind of men that Judah raises. If I give her my third, he's going to die too. So he says, Tamar, look. Look, look. He's, he's not old enough yet. Let's just wait a little while. Let's let him grow up a little bit. Let's wait till he's a man. Then I'll give him to you. But he never does. So, She dresses, I mean, you can't make this stuff. It's in the Bible, right? She dresses as a prostitute. She's at the town. He says, hey, how much? And she says, "Uh, what are you going to give me? I'll give you a goat, but I don't have it now. So take my ring, take my staff, take these things that show very clearly I'm the one doing this. And he ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law. She gets pregnant. He finds out she's pregnant. And then he, the holy righteous man that Judah is, wants to burn her to death. Bring her out. She's been playing the harlot. Let's burn her to death right now publicly. So she comes and praise God, she's able to pipe up enough to say, it's the man whose things these are that got me pregnant. And they're Judah's. And remember, he's publicly calling for her execution. He was publicly humiliated. Judah has been made a fool in front of of everyone. And as wicked as he was in private, selling his brother to be a slave, he's now shown to be that wicked to everyone around him. Who would ever seek someone like this to be the one that the Messiah would come from? Who of us who would have done these things would society ever forgive? And yet, a good God is pursuing a bad man. Things change. He is clearly broken, though we don't see it in the pages of Scripture. Because when they go to Egypt, they get food. Joseph recognizes them. He keeps one back. He keeps Simeon back. Not Reuben, because Reuben's the one who saved them to begin with. So Simeon's going to pay for it because he's the second oldest. That judgment is going down the line in order of age. Everyone goes back. They leave Simeon to rot. Jacob will not let his sons go back even though they need food. And then finally, who stands up? Judah says, Father, we've got to go get food from Egypt. And he says, but you're going to take my son, Benjamin, my youngest one. And Judah says, I will be the pledge for him. If anything happens, let me take the responsibility. Let the sin Fall on me. Let the sin of my brethren fall on me so that my family might be saved. Can you think of someone else who took the sin upon him so that everyone around him might be saved? Named Jesus. And so now this man that is being worked on by God, that God's pursuing for his purposes, is starting to look a little bit more like Christ. It's amazing. They go. They see Joseph. Joseph turns up the heat, right? Right? Just because he can. And I guess he knew he was being led by God. He's going to turn it up. Have my brothers really changed. The people that sold me to slavery. And he says, oh, one of you got my cup in your bag. The cup bearer goes out there. Judas says, look, we'll all be your slaves. He says, no, 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 no. Just the one whose bag it's in. And it's in Benjamin's. And who runs to Joseph to rescue the other son of the favorite wife? Judah, the one who sold his older brother into slavery, the wicked, evil man who slept with his own daughter-in-law and is filled with shame. He says, no, take me. Take me. And the story is full circle. The one whose idea it was to sell him is the one who says, let me be sold as a slave. And that's when Joseph says, it's me, your brother. God had broken him and crushed this wicked man because God pursues bad people for his own purposes. For his own purposes. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen? Maybe some of you have seen that before. And then listen to this blessing that would later come. From Jacob, the original bad man, to his son, the ultimate bad man in the family. Judah, your brother's shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter, authority, kingship. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And at the name of Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. All the nations will come in, all the kings, bring in their glory, and every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will come before him shouting glory and honor and majesty unto the lamb of the tribe of Judah. Unto him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine. Christ has washed his garments in blood. His vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Sounds like the beloved of the Song of Solomon. Who are you and what have you done? What bad thing has ruined your life, and you say, I am beyond hope. I have gone too far. God could have nothing to do with me. I've done too much in my life and it can't be reversed. Jacob and Judah would look down and say, the Lamb of God can change you. He can change you. And then there's us the worst of them all. Jesus said that there were certain cities in his time that were going to face fires of hell more than Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because Sodom and Gomorrah had this much light of God in their conscience. But Chorazin and Bethsaida had the light of the world before their very physical eyes and they rejected him. They rejected his ministry. And we in America have a lot of light. We have those around us. Bibles are everywhere. There are six or seven or eight English gospel stations, AM and FM, and one Spanish. 91.9. Radio Amor. (laughs) (laughs) And so who do you think is worse? Jacob and Judah or you and me? Oh, I can't believe Judah would do that. Yeah, but how much pornography have you looked at on your computer? How many women or men have you gone in unto? And with how much light? And that's not to condemn you, but it is to say that we are under a greater judgment because we even have a new covenant that's been revealed to us, a new covenant of grace. Now, not everyone has heard the true gospel, even in America. They estimate that there are about 110 million people in America now, that would be classified as unreached people because they have never really heardly proclaimed now the gospel. Go to the West Coast, which especially Washington, Oregon, will look a lot more like Europe, where there were the, the uh, salvations and uh, things of uh, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, all these revivals, these reformations, and now they're dead. You look at America, a lot of our areas, people actually don't know. But there's still light, and it's refused. So really, the worst people of all aren't the Muslims or the Hindus or the pagans who live in other lands. They're those that would go to church like I did all my life and yet choose to live in a godly lifestyle, even if I don't do the exact things that Jacob and Judah did. I was a bad man, the wildest one of my friends, the most broken, most messed up past, the most abuse in it. And this good God pursued me. This good God loved me. This good God broke me. Who are you and what have you done? You are not beyond a good God chasing your life, no matter who you are. We're told this in Ephesians chapter 2. God is running after somebody today, multiple people today. We've heard this before. Your goodness is running after me. God is running after you. Lost people to be His. And if you're saved and wallowing in condemnation, that He is the one that isn't just saves, but sanctifies. It is He who makes you like Christ, not your vows. Not your promises that you'll break. But him. He is the one. He is the good God even pursuing you. In Ephesians chapter 2 it says this. This is us. You were dead in trespasses and in sins. And in which you once walked. You walked right on round inside of those trespasses. That was your habitat. It's where you were comfortable. It was your environment. You followed the prince of the power of the air. You followed Satan. Every lost person follows Satan. Fact, even if they don't have a pentagram tattooed on them. And I know some people here who actually do have a tattoo, pen, uh, whatever that is, pentagram tattooed on them. And they love Jesus now. Hallelujah. That's a testimony now. But they followed the prince of the power of the air. They followed him blindly like the Pied Piper. Given to lust and pornography, yeah, as much as I can. Hate my neighbor as I, you know, as they probably hate me, yeah. Walking around in sin and in trespasses, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. All of us in that. All of us, even as saved people in the flesh, there dwells no Good thing, all those old passions. We carried about before Christ, we carried out those desires of the body and the mind and were by nature, by the very nature within us, children of wrath enemies of God, haters of his people. There was a song that would come on uh, as a child and it was, he's alive. You know that? He's alive. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. And I would actually scream at the TV, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And I went to church. What in the world? Because in my flesh, in my nature, as a 15-year-old, I thought they were idiots saying he's alive because I didn't really think he was alive. And I loved my sin. I was an object of God's wrath. I was shouting at a TV. How much more led by the spirit of the world do you have to be? But that's what kind of a bad man I was. We were dead in our trespasses. But you know what this good God did? For God, Father, so loved the world that just like Abraham, he gave his only begotten son but didn't hold back the knife. That whoever would believe in him, trust in him, turn to him, would not perish, not bear the wrath of God upon themselves in hell, but have everlasting life. That they might know Christ and walk with him in true love and relationship every day. Not just wait for heaven one day, but know him, the life now. He made us alive together with Christ. I used to shout at the TV, He's dead. And now I can shout, I'm alive because He's alive. I've been made alive because Christ's been raised from the dead. My old life's been crucified. All my poor choices, all my bad decisions. And I have a new life. I'm a new person. Who I was, my old names, that the character I had, don't know me by my old name. Don't know me by Jacob. Know me by Israel. Don't know me by who I used to be. Know me by who Christ is making me now. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He's raised us up with him and seated us just slightly above the dunghill with Him, Christ, and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesians who have sex cults, idolatry, worship idols that have made themselves dirty and disgusting and have been God haters all their lives. And he said, such were some of you. But now you are washed. Now you're clean. Now you've been joined to the people of God. And guess what? Now you're the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. Now, you, once filthy, bad, wicked, you're the temple of God. The temple of God. And that is why the angels marvel. When they look and they see God, I wonder if they say to him, are you really sure about Andrew? Have you seen what he looked at? Have you seen what he's done? Have you seen him shout at you? Just like the people who cried crucify him. Crucify him. He shouted, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. You're idiots. Hallelujah. God sought me out. So why are you pursued, believer? What do you do once he catches you? Once you let him catch you? Once you turn to him and you say, I'm yours, change me, transform me. Then you, like Paul, can say this in Philippians chapter 3. He said this, and this was the God hater. This was the guy who was rounding them up, letting the Christians be beaten, and throwing them in jail. He said this, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For him, I've suffered the loss of everything, everything. And I count them as rubbish, they trash, their garbage. In order that I may gain Christ. What divine purposes does God have for your life? And musicians, you can come up. What divine purposes does God have for your life? Oh, you bad man and bad woman who came in here today with shame. Covered in shame. What have you done? Because that is what Christ died for. Not to leave you alone, but to save you. There is no one so bad. Or as Coryton Boom said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. What type of a pit have you dug for yourself? His hand is not shortened to pull you out, to transform you to change your name and to be glorified in your life. Come and let this God, this exceedingly good God who is running after you, set you free. Let Him. Just let Him. Let Him. Believer, if you see too much of Jacob and Judah in your life, too much of the old man in your life, join the club. But I have a Redeemer who I can look to and has promised that he will complete his work in me, that he was faithful to begin it, and if I will trust him by faith, he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If he will do it for Judah and Jacob because of a covenant with Abraham made in his foreskin, what will he do for you when he crucified the whole body of his son? And welcomes you into a new covenant. How will he not much more change your nature to one that glorifies him? Amen? Would you let him do it? Can we love him? Can we let him do that today? A good God is chasing after you today. Just let him grab you. Just let him take hold. Let him win. Don't make it a game of tag. Just lift up your hands. Does love catch up to you once and for all? Stop hiding.